0: Good morning and welcome to the house of the Lord and those of you joining us online. Good morning to you also. We are in the book of Acts, chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, please turn. We'll stand in a moment and take verses 9 through 25. The book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. Would you stand please for the reading of God's word. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that, through the laying on the ha- of the hands of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered money to them. I need to read verse 18 again. And when Simon saw that, through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter of your heart. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound in iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified... And preached the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samarians. Please be seated. All right, my excuse is someone was pointing a laser light at my eye. <laughs> what just happened there? Let's pray it doesn't keep on. Power to preach—that's what we're talking about this morning. I think you know when a, you put these, when a pastor puts these titles together, he can try to you know pump some steroids into it and make the title sound exciting so people will read it, because people are influenced, apparently, by titles. But I'd like to, I'd rather stay focused on what's going on when the title is given. This is what's happening here. Now, last session in Acts, we read about the apostles, uh, or the persecution that broke out in Jerusalem, and that the believers were persecuted to preach. It spread them out. Well, now that we're going to see in this chapter the power to preach. Satan thought the church was in retreat. He was wrong again. The gospel is being spread. Now, in this section of scripture, there are some debated portions, and it's always unpleasant to deal with them. So I'll try to be quick when it comes to that. Because... I'm not trying to convince you to see it my way. I'm sharing with you as um, I believe the Spirit of God shared with me. And you make your, your call after that. But God allowed the believers to be persecuted and used this persecution so they could preach the gospel in areas that they otherwise would not have been so quick to visit. And so here we, we see the need not only for opportunity to preach, but power to preach. Philip had the opportunity, and he had the power. And at at the time, the Christians that were fleeing Jerusalem because of the persecution, they didn't know they were winning. We know that. 2,000 years later, we read their story, and we say, look at that, man, this is great. That, uh, you know, Satan was really the one that was losing territory. But the Christians at the time, they felt that they were being chased. They were. And they did something with it. They were too busy trying to survive and to escape persecution to see what God was doing. Well, we're no better. You come under pressure in your life. Your life starts falling apart. Things going the way you never wanted them to go. You may miss that God is doing something. Nonetheless, these these things are here for our edification. Not only is the Old Testament here for our edification, but so is the New Testament. We know their outcome. We know that they lost the battle but won the war. Maybe you are in a battle, a spiritual battle. Hopefully, at least at some point, you're in a spiritual battle for others and not just yourself. Maybe it's a lost soul. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a child. You feel like you're losing the battle. Remember, God put you and your Christianity Your personal relationship with Christ. God put you and that relationship into their lives. Whether they know it or not, respect it or not, receive it or not. You should know it. You should respect it. We should all receive this. We are there to increase the chance of salvation. and It doesn't always happen as quickly as we want or the way that we want you be ministering to somebody for years, and some other Christian comes in and closes the deal. <laughs> what is that? I've been preaching to this person, and you come along, and now they're saved. Let's get them unsaved so I can get it. Your suffering may be part of God's plan because that's what it takes. Not because God gets a thrill out of our suffering. That is never the case. But because that's what it takes to defeat the wickedness that is here. Suffering, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. Chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his pain, his stripes, we have been made whole. That's our example. Christ suffering for others. The big difference is he didn't have to. He could have just said, you know what, I'll stay here in heaven. I'm not going down there. But he does come here. So again, you may feel defeated, but Satan really is losing ground if you keep your head in the game. In this chapter, we see four groups receiving salvation. Well, in, in the book of Acts, not this chapter, in the book of Acts. And it's, it's, it's comprehensive. It covers mankind. We see the Jews have been saved That all the way back to chapter 2. The Samaritans, they are being saved, and we're seeing that. And the Jew, the Samaritans were, you know, the mixed breed. They were uh, half Jewish and half Gentile. thats They were this mixed breed of people. So we see the Jews and those who are Jew-Gentile getting saved. Then we'll see a proselyte, somebody who came to Judaism but is a Gentile. And they took up the Jewish religion, Judaism. They get saved. That person in this chapter happens to be an Ethiopian. We'll get that some other time. And then when we get to chapter 10, we see the full-blown Gentiles getting saved. And so through the book of Acts, we see the gospel. You know, again, Satan thinking he's stomping it out. But we see it just marching forward, people getting saved. And God's saying, there's no special group that gets saved. Jew, Gentile, mixed... Religious convert, you come to Christ, you get saved. There's no special class. There's no pecking order. There's no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, Scythian or barbarian. All are in Christ. These are the lessons that fly off the pages and are received by anyone who is willing to dig for them, who's willing to have them and do something with them. And when you go out and you share the gospel with anybody God puts in front of you, you're living it out. We look now at verse 9, because we got a lot here. We better get going. But there, were a certain, uh, there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. Well, as converts are being made, complications are arising. And this is going to be a complication. Nobody sees it yet, but it's there. Simon was a master of tricks and illusions, and he had postured himself as being somebody who was a go-to guy for spiritual advice. There is no mention of his healing anyone. There is no mention of his helping anyone. No spiritual activity is mentioned about this Simon, only that he wowed the crowd it says here, who previously practiced sorcery in the city. Now, that is critical to understanding what's going on in this section because it says he previously practiced, which means at some point he abandons this. And, well, we, we come to it. Of course, he gets saved. This is an indication that Simon abandoned the sinful life and embraced Christ and that it was genuine. See, now we're getting into the debate. Because there are many very good Bible teachers. Many of my uh, teachers in the Word, well, through books, they don't share this opinion. Some of the others do. If any of you would like to write them a letter to let them know they're wrong and I'm right, I would appreciate it. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire, come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? I said, well, why are you reading this verse about bringing fire down on people who aren't cooperating with Christ? Because I think it's a mindset that many Christians fall into, just like James and John, where we want to kind of bulldoze people into hell when we come across their character. In scripture. Yeah, he's in hell. He's in hell. He's done. <laughs> the, the rich young ruler, he's gone to hell. Jesus told him to follow him. He's gone. to hell. Well, that's not how the story reads Christ. He said, what do I have to do to get to heaven? He says, uh, you know, follow the law. He says, these things I've done for my youth. But what do I still lack? Granted, he didn't go far enough as far as serving the Lord, but it doesn't condemn him to hell. And it's the same with Simon here. There are those that just think that this man was a fraud. He never was saved because he practiced sorcery and he makes this tremendous blunder. Well, yeah, he made a big blunder. And Peter goes what we would call ballistic. But that ain't the whole story. Peter Lee gives us the whole story. And so again, because of the seriousness of his era, there are many Christians that factor out the seriousness of grace. Sinners in the hands of a graceful God. He assured God has the capacity for wrath. But that's, that's not he, not how he approaches us. When you got saved, God doesn't say, I'm going to kill you. He's offering his grace. He's, you know, it's the goodness of God that led me to repentance, said Paul. Uh, Some may, hard cases, God may have to do it that way. You consider Balaam, I mean, what a a donkey's talking to him. You you think that would have just ended everything for Balaam? He just would have gone home and just got in the bed after What would you do if your pet started talking to you? Some of you would just enter into dialogue and be so happy about it. But... (laughs) It's like, stop doing that. I mean, the first thing the dog would say if it were a dog is, you know you can't tell anybody this. (laughs) So, Simon makes a goof. Well, Paul made a goof. He's persecuting Christians, but he gets forgiven. Simon can be forgiven too. Not because Simon says... But this (laughs) word, I figured you'd like that. This word sorcery here. Well, there really are two words in the New Testament that are translated sorcery. The Greek word here is where we get our English word magic from. The other word is where we get our English word pharmacy from. Pharmakia. And this one, magio. And so... What does it mean? What's the difference between the two? Well, of course, sorcery in the Old Testament condemned, and it's condemned in the New Testament. If you mean by sorcery, contacting the spiritual realm, not coming to God, but trying to, you know, the occult, we would call it. That certainly is gets no pardon from God. It gets condemnation. But it does seem that Simon was more into uh, illusions, um, posturing himself as though he was this spiritual sage, but not necessarily concocting uh, potions and conjuring up spells and things like that. Elimus, a false prophet that we'll meet in chapter thirteen, uh, he was into sorcery, and he would not—he did not tolerate Saul, uh, Paul, the apostle, uh, coming into his territory, and there was that confrontation and Paul smote him blind for a period of time. We get to chapter 19, we come across the sons of Sceva who also decided that they were going to dip and dab into the spiritual realm. They were ill-prepared and and they ended up physically with a beating. But there's no indication of Simon doing anything more but then bedazzling the people, making himself to be somebody, and the people said, "Boy, this guy's impressive. You should see what he could do with a rabbit." And, uh, you know, so just keeping that in mind, now you can say, well, could he have been into the occult? Sure. But I think he was a fraud. (laughs) I think he was a phony baloney, and he was getting away with it. And uh, we'll come back to these verses. I'll repeat that, that he is pretending through sleight of hand. Well, um, I, I should add, Philip, would have really had his hands full if this guy was deep into uh, the dark arts. So we come to the bottom of verse 9, that speaking of Simon, he astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. And there it is. He's an imposter. Look at me. I, you know, he's, trying to, he's promoting himself. These people are loving it and, and making money, I'm sure, from this. Philip preached Christ, and Simon preached himself. One of the big differences between the believer and the make-believer. Verse 10, To whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. Well, that's what Simon wanted. He wanted these people to accept him, and they were mesmerized by what he was doing. And it doesn't detail again for us what he was doing, uh, but let's just say, let's just say he's levitating people. Well, it's going to impress people who don't know that there's, you know, sleight of hand. I don't think he was levitating anybody. Uh, I, I stick with the rabbit in the hat one. But, uh, because he doesn't seem to be this great character. And uh, here he is, a self-made village spiritual advisor. Now, you may disagree with that, and that, that's okay. I would agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. Verse 11 is checking on you, and they heeded him because he astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. So again, he's not producing and he's not healing anybody. He's just, you know, doing these things. Uh, they're looking at it; they can see it. Uh, what should have been, uh, they would better have been served had he been preaching truth to them. But there's not, nothing like that going on. And when Philip comes, it will be the preaching of the word that turns everything around with signs and wonders. The miracle of spiritual truth defeating, will defeat these, this mesmerizing these mesmerizing wonders of Simon. The miracle of spiritual truth, and it is a miracle when a soul converts from the world, from the self, from sin to Jesus Christ. When Paul says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, it is a miracle. Paul will write to the Ephesians warning them, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Well, Ephesus was a huge city to whom he was writing at the time and he knew that there were men like Simon, and far worse than Simon. And he's telling the Christians, don't be wild by things that aren't true. Stick to the unbroken witness of your scripture that goes back to Adam. Verse 12, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And so whatever it was that Simon was into... It was all shoved aside by truth. Truth shows up and just overcomes. Now we will get to uh, those in acts that are into sorcery, into the occult. We will have those that are demonically influenced or and or uh, possessed. But I don't think that's again so much the case here. Philip's arrival and work. Notified the people that they were incomplete. Maybe you go to church. You're a church goer. If that's all you do. You're not family yet. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to recognize that you lack something without him. More than life. You lack salvation. Security that comes from Jesus Christ himself. And Philip's arrival notifies the people that they you look you might have simon and all that stuff you're still going to hell and they're responding to that satan says who wants to be a millionaire christ says who wants to go to heaven who wants to be born again both men and women were baptized well nothing vague about that faith alone in jesus alone that's who gets baptized to be able to say Christ, Christ died in my place as me, took my sin, my punishment, my punishment for my sin. He took it on himself so that I would not have to suffer it. He is the Savior, but before he is my Savior, he is Lord. He has always been Lord. He is Lord from eternity past, and He will be Lord into into eternity future. Those are the ones that get baptized in water. And if you believe Jesus Christ is that to you, your Lord and your Savior, and you have not been baptized, what are you waiting for? Now, we do not encourage the youth to get baptized, nor do we discourage them. We only want to be part of the process of a genuine baptism. That they're not saying, well, I'm going to get baptized because my friend's getting baptized. So we don't want to create that kind of environment for them. A lot of people do. You know, you see little four-year-olds getting baptized. Do they really understand what's going on? Because it's part of baptism is you have to understand that Christ is your Savior. You are a sinner. What what it means to be baptized. What it is preaching. It's a sermon. All you have to do is go to Chop Chop Square in Saudi Arabia and get baptized in that square and find out what happens to you. They'll kill you. You won't even dry off before they kill you. Because it means something. It means something to hell. Hell hates to see People say, I'm lining up with the believers. This is my uniform. This is the army I march with. This is the kingdom that I belong to. This is where my primary citizenship is. And so if you are a Christian and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe in salvation through Christ alone, faith alone and Christ alone, by the word of God, then you need to get baptized. You need to get with one of the pastors. If I was you, I'd be shoving people aside to get there after service. No, I would not. But if you do, I'm going to preach about you. Anyway... Uh, The early church was very serious about this. Where there was conversion, there was baptism. Verse 13, Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Yeah, because he couldn't duplicate that. He said, man, I could do the whole rabbit thing, but I can't do this. It says, Then Simon himself also believed. That is what the Bible says. The Bible does not say, but his belief was not genuine. The Calvinists will come back and add that later. We have no right to reject that initial statement from Luke under the Holy Spirit's authority just because he makes this tremendous blunder in a few minutes, well, a few verses. And uh, why should we be surprised that a new convert has a theological error? It makes a, 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 a theological, a spiritual faux pas. Why should we be surprised? Was he supposed to be converted and all of a sudden now he's a theologian? Luke explicitly says Simon believed and that he was baptized. And having introduced Simon as one who was previously into sorcery in verse 9, it connects perfectly. Now I'm going through this because you have these, uh, you know, study Bibles and other commentaries and you read them and they, they, they just slam Simon. And I I disagree with them. Just because they write a book or get, you know, get to be part of a book doesn't mean they automatically write. That would be kooky. By that logic, every book ever written is the authority of what is right and wrong. It's looking at it objectively, which I think many well-meaning commentators on certain parts of theology are not objective anymore because they've gotten into a doctrinal camp, and they've written books about it. (laughs) They're not going to leave. Anyway, if the Samaritan's belief was genuine unto salvation, just like it says, then why isn't Simon's also? We have no reason to doubt it. That his faith led to his baptism, was genuine unto his salvation, and it says, and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. So the amazer is now amazed himself. We're not to crave miracles, signs, and wonders as a gateway to faith. We accept it. Jesus preached on this. Very Christ concisely said to Thomas, well, blessed are you, Thomas. You see it and you got it. But there's going to be others that haven't seen what you have seen. And they're going to believe by faith. And that's what I'm after. Romans 10, again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't say faith comes by seeing and by seeing the miracles of God. I mean, you can't top Pharaoh. Look at the miracles he saw. And it just drove him to his death. Judas Iscariot. He's probably the the greatest uh, enigma of them all. What did he see? What did he hear? And still, he goes to hell. Because he rejects it. He refuses to be under its authority. Verse 14. And when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God... They sent Peter and John to them. They weren't gullible, were these guys? They're in Jerusalem and say, hey, there's a movement of the spirit up in, up in uh, Samaria. They didn't say, wow, well, if it's popular, it must be God. They were not gullible. They dispatched heavyweights. Do you get any heavier than Peter and John? You do not among men. That's the top of the line. They sent them to either authenticate the work or condemn it. Again, this uh, being popular is not enough to be accepted. Beloved, John writes, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. There was an infestation of false prophets, prophets in, the days of, in the early days of Christianity, as there seems to be even now. And so they're guarding against counterfeits. They dispatch these two heavyweights, To get to the bottom of this is not enough to make converts. That's not enough. You must post guards. You must stand watch. You must beware of counterattacks. Paul said, Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Warn them about what? That savage wolves would come in from among you, not sparing the flock. And so it is, it is naïve to think that just as happy-go-lucky, you know, yellow brick road to Christianity. You, you don't have the right, you don't have that luxury to be oblivious to Satan's counterattacks against souls. If once you become saved, those foreign influences have to be dealt with when you come into the kingdom. And when you come into the kingdom of God, you've got to find out how do they live. What is the law? You know, when in the kingdom, do as those in the kingdom. When in Rome, do as those as in Rome. It's, a, it's proverbial and it's wise and it is also neglected very much. You know, what if you went to a new church, which I know you wouldn't do if you attend here. But just to say, you went to a church. Wouldn't you say? Well, I'm going to do like everybody else is doing. They're sitting in the pews. They're not standing on their heads, so I'm not going to stand on my head. So, uh, but this is this is not this is not practice. But I'm not going to take an opportunity to use my pulpit to slam those that do it. <laughs> Too late. Anyway, may we remember that basic law, and that that applies for everywhere. You don't just go somewhere and just start behaving like you know. Okay, I'm here now, and this is what Simon was going to get him in trouble. Verse 15 who when he had come down, prayed for them that he might receive the Holy Spirit. So I I need to probably put, keep that in context, 14 and 18 together. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, that they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, verse 15, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. A lot of stuff going on here. The apostles come down, and they discern that there's salvation here, that these people are baptized, and yet they're still lacking something. They're lacking a personal Pentecost. They've had a personal Calvary experience. They've come to the cross. They've dealt with their sins. They've even publicly announced that they've done this in the water baptism. But there's another part of Christianity still available to them, and they're missing it. And the, the apostles pick up on that. There's no mention of Philip catching that. There's a difference between being a believer who admires God, admires salvation, admires the word of God, believes and is saved, versus a believer who also admires but also adores. It's on another level is passionate about God's word, passionate about salvation. I've met believers. They they believe Jesus Christ is Savior. There's no one else. But they have no passion. There's no fire in them to reach lost souls. There's nothing in there to stand up and protest against Satan's lies. That person has not been immersed in the spirit. I'm not talking about salvation. We'll open that a little bit more. And there's a lot of commentators. Here's here's where we begin to part. I don't want to spend too much time on that. Because many preach it. No, there's no third experience. There are three facets that belong to to Christianity. One is when Christ draws you to him through the Holy Spirit. You become a Christian. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in you. You are saved. And then there's that next experience that now not only is he in you, but he's flowing out from you. And that's what they're lacking. And this is what this is about. This is what we're being taught. You can't say, well, that was back from the apostolic age. No, this is today too. Verse 16 for as yet he had not fallen upon, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Saved? Yes. Filled? Yes. Overflowing? No third experience of the holy holy spirit again objected to by some well-meaning christians and christian authorities and i don't those that don't agree with me on this i don't think less of them i just think they're wrong on this point uh, 15 years ago i would have hated their guts no i would not i just would not have wanted to read anything about them but i've i've learned i've matured a little bit at my pace which is not very fast but anyhow you know matured on the outside a lot but not so much on the inside. <laughs> they were believers. They had been baptized, which means the Holy Spirit was in them. Acts chapter two, Peter said, Repent that every one of you may be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Okay, that happened. Then Peter says, And you shall receive the Holy you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, these haven't gotten there yet. They did when when Peter preached to the Jews, but the Samaritans aren't there. And there's a reason why. Again, it is one thing to have the Holy Spirit in you. Doing the inward work of conforming you into the image of Christ. Every believer gets that. The decency, the righteousness, the desire to please God. But it's another thing to have the Spirit, again, bursting forth looking for opportunity to share. I don't mean, you know, jamming the gospel down people's throat or, you know, sneaking tracks (laughs) into their sandwiches, uh, stuff like that. That's not being led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, We, you know, the Jehovah Witnesses are out there thinking that they're, you know, knocking on doors and therefore they're doing everything right, but there's there's no leading of the Spirit in that. Uh, Even the apostles did not do it that way. Anyway, coming back to this... uh, this is what they were receiving, the releasing of the Spirit of God to go forward. Jesus said this in John chapter 7, He who believes in me as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So when you meet a Christian, we get to them in chapter, uh, I think it's 19, we get to Ephesus, Uh, we we get to Christians that we now haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And and Paul discerned that, and of course, uh, the things then change. So, Uh, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, uh, out of his heart will flow living waters. Verse 17. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit affirms that the Samaritans are believers now also, fully, just like the Jews, exciting them in their faith. Salvation, again, is one thing. But... To be able to have a desire to get others to be saved, that's another thing. Um, There is a distinct interval of time between the new converts being converted and baptized and the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit into their lives. And that's very interesting. And as I mentioned, that happens in chapter 19. They're already believers, but there's this long period of time before they enter into this third experience. Here, it seems that the Holy Spirit is delayed in his filling because he wants the apostles to introduce it. I do believe that Peter and John are sent up, the Holy Spirit overseeing this, because it must have their stamp of approval in the initial phases. This is transitional. Matthew 18, 18, Jesus speaking to Peter, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. These are the kings of the ha- of the kingdom. What belongs to that? I'm, I don't have time to get into all of it, but here's where Peter's, actually, It's in Matthew 16, but Peter's getting the keys. Here in Matthew 18, this is the authority to administer church uh, discipline and authority in the apostles. And so it is important to note that the Samaritans did not receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when they believed. Philip, who was empowered to perform miracles, was not able to impart, to lay hands on them and you know, give them this third experience in the Spirit. First experience of the Holy Spirit, he draws us to him. Second experience, we become saved. Third experience, we are filled to Overflow. So when Jesus says to Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom, we see Peter the one unlocking the filling of the Spirit to the Jews in chapter 2, to the mixed Samaritans here in chapter 8, and then in chapter 10 to the Gentiles. It's Peter, each time, unlocking this uh, transition from Judaism and non-Christianity into uh, Christianity with the Holy Spirit. He is unlocking doors, and he is confirming it. the I, I don't want to get too far ahead, but no Christian should feel like they are a second-class citizen, whether they have been filled with the Spirit or not. Once you believe in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. But there's still more. Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. And that's what we see happening in Acts chapter 2, chapter 8, and chapter 10. This progression that all the people are, are being drawn in equally to salvation. Uh, and this should, um, this should excite us. So, But I want to go back to these three experiences from the scripture. John chapter 14, Jesus speaking. I will pray... The Father and He will give you another helper, that is the Holy Spirit, that He may abide with you. Now that Greek word for with, that preposition is para, coming alongside of the Spirit of Truth, verse 17 of John 14, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you. Now that preposition... uh, E-N in the Greek, and, and will be in you. That preposition, that promise, he will be. He's with you, he's in you, but he's not yet overflowing from you. That's what Jesus is saying. And that Greek word, that preposition in the Greek is epi. Uh, It means everything. Because when we get to chapter 8, we read, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. Upon you, epi, there's that preposition again. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Philip is a witness in Samaria. He is filled with the Holy Spirit, is flowing out of him, epi. All three uh, experiences have been captured. One, to woo you to Christ. The other, to bring you to Christ, to make you form, shape us into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.13. For we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And there's that process that begins once we've come to Christ and the Spirit is in us. But that third experience is what lacking. I know I'm repeating this. I'm repeating it on purpose because there aren't many churches out there that preach this. Because they've all sort of locked step. I think, out of a fear of the book of Acts. That if we tell you that the gift of tongues is still available, that somehow you're all going to go crazy and start speaking tongues on the telephone with each other. And it is the, these fears that the, these uh, well-meaning and analytical and great minds try to come up with ways to say, well, it was for them. Then the gifts have ceased, but yet they still promote the gift of teaching. I don't see how you can cherry pick it. Uh, You know, you can't take that approach. They don't do it with other doctrines. Why do it with this one? Because of the abuses. We covered this in the introduction to the book of Acts. Verse 18, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, verse 19, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And so Simon is impressed by this. But he was first impressed by the preaching of Philip. And that's how he got converted. But he makes what is not uncommon a rookie mistake. He brings strange fire into it. Well, Abraham's sons did that. doesn't mean they went to hell. They were struck dead. But so was Uzzah. They weren't unrighteous men. They were just out of bounds at a critical stage. And God made that message clear. Don't read of it happening happening again, because that's how clear it was. And here, Simon makes this rookie mistake, applying the old life ways to the new life. Now, even today, magicians have a history of buying and selling their tricks. They come up with an illusion, and another magician will say, I'll give you $100,000 for that. That's a pretty neat trick. And, and then, he, so here's Simon. He's probably thinking, well, this is how we do business. This is how, what do you think I learned all my stuff? I've been going around the ancient world buying these tricks. And it, it's made me somebody. Well, I'd like to buy this one now. Because he doesn't understand what's going on. And which, again, we can't fault him. He's a new convert. But Peter, oh man, Peter talk, uh, is not going to have any of this. He's going to be brutal. And so we'll, we'll get to that. In a moment. Uh, But what is surprising, not surprising that Simon would make this mistake, what is surprising is that there are people who pay for prayer cloths and holy water and holy oil. I mean, what are you doing? Don't you have faucets at home? You actually think that somebody, I don't know, in some other state can pray over a bottle of water and sell it to you as holy water? Do you really think that? What about the oil? I mean, it's just olive oil, double virgin. I, I mean, it, it's just, it, these are sim, symbols. There's no power in this stuff. I, I mean, if they, they would sell you the ark if they could get you to buy it. So I, I don't get it. Abysmal ignorance of biblical things in, in the name of Christ. Uh, simony is a word that we have, buying and selling spiritual benefits or church positions in the dark ages you know 980 something to 1000 and something uh, there was open bribery in the roman catholic church where the office of the pope was being sold repeatedly to the highest bidder that that is along the same lines you say don't these people read the bible no only the parts they want so, anyway, too bad Simon didn't ask Philip, how do I evangelize? He said, he's just attracted to this power. Now, verse 20. <laughs> Here comes the hammer. Peter, the hitman apostle. Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You would think that would be enough. Okay, Peter, you got him. Oh, well, Peter's just getting started. <laughs> he, so, what Peter is doing is upholding truth because to Peter truth was more important than people joining the church. Hmm. God's truth more important than filling the pews. He was willing to lose somebody from the congregation rather than forfeit the truth from God's word. Today, there would be church goers who have no relationship with Jesus Christ, well, maybe they do, even. And just because churchgoers can, can, can be born again on fire for Christ and still wrong. It's never happened to me. But I'm sure it's happened to you. Okay, back to this. Today, these churchgoers, some of them, would say that Peter was unloving, that he was harsh, he was mean-spirited, he was arrogant. Peter is right on. And, and you know, Calvary Chapel, the movement under Pastor Chuck, God gave another gift to the church other than Pastor Chuck in the form of a man named Romaine. He had no other name, just Romaine. Why they named him after lettuce, I don't know. But every time I think about him, I want a salad. Anyhow, Romaine was no nonsense. I mean, he was... He was the bodyguard, church guard. He kept those hippies in line, and uh, he would flay them. Uh, it, it was uh, and so when I come across a Calvary pastor who doesn't like romaine, I don't like them. <laughs> sorry <laughs> no, uh, I'm serious. <laughs> because I don't, I don't want to say I don't like them, but they won't be preaching in this pulpit. Because they're telling me that they missed the point of somebody having to shield the pastor. Because if the pastor goes around and says, hey, get your feet off that seat. Well, that's not going to work well for the church. If the pastor's going around correcting people on that level. But to have a guy like Romaine do it, that works pretty good. Because they see the pastor still loves me, but we got this guy over here. And it worked wonderfully. Now, I'm being very short about this and throwing in some humor. But the bottom line, he was a gift to Calvary Chapel. And we would not have experienced the movement as we have if God did not send such a man. We need people to stand up to people who are wrong. And there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Peter has nobody to do that. John doesn't really have... Well, John, I mean, I'll take that back. John called fire down him like him and his brother wanted to do earlier. But Peter is the one that's doing it. Verse 21. Now, if I have excited questions about Romain, feel free to ask me, because I love talking about him. I've got stories on him. And he was just a, really a gem. Uh, and I miss him very much. Anyway, verse 21. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. So not merely was Simon wrong on the outside. He's deep wrong in this view on the inside. Uh, Simon says, I'll buy it. Peter says, you're wicked. Verse 22. Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven. So Peter is now disfellowshipping him. But he's giving him a chance to be reinstated at the same time. He said, you can't come back to this church unless you fix this. And in this case, he could fix it right away. Sometimes they, they can't fix it right away. They've got to go home and do it. But here he has the, he's giving him the solution. And solutions usually are better than executions. Solutions are usually better than executions. Verse 23, For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound in iniquity. Man, this is a heavy hit. Imagine, imagine the pastor saying this to you. You go to visit a church and you do something and he tells you you are poisoned by bitterness and bound in iniquity. You're tied up in evil. You got shrink wrap of evil all around you. So we picture here a well that is poisoned. That is Simon. A freshwater well in his conversion that has been poisoned by an by a old life view. Exodus 15, 23, Now when they had come to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name is called Marah. They were poisonous. Or at least sulfur-ridden, you couldn't drink it. And so instead of, you know, Elijah, we'll get this next Wednesday, if, if we're still here, uh, we, we get Elijah purifying a well for people to drink. So do not consider the Holy Spirit as an unholy man who can be brought. Hebrews 12, 15, on the subject of bitterness, looking carefully, lest any of you fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. There are various types of bitterness. There's ones from, I hold a grudge against you, you still, my blood pressure goes up when I think of you, I can't stand you, I never want to see you. That kind of stuff will destroy you. And you better learn to deal with it. You better learn to parry that kind of bitterness. Jeremiah 2, 19, Your wickedness will correct you, and your backsliding will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken Yahweh your God, and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord Yahweh of hosts. As to iniquity, Psalm 116, verse 16 Oh Yahweh truly I am your servant I am your servant the son of your maid servant you have loosed my bonds the iniquity freed from it you remember he said Simon was bound in iniquity Proverbs 5:22 His own iniquities entrap the wicked man and he is caught in the cords of his sin Well, that is true. And that's what, you know, Christ says, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The gospel liberates. And Simon is tangled up here. And Simon Peter is is not, uh, he, he is being very thorough with this. You know, as a pastor, if a new Christian says something to me that is wrong, I have to say something. I can't let them go away and then a year later come back and say, Why didn't you tell me I was wrong with that? It may hurt them. It may keep chasing them from the church. But I can't give them a pass. If there's something minor, I'm certainly not going to slam them. But if they say something like, you know, Jesus is one of the saviors, man, they're going to get it. It's like, you will not say that to me in in the church that I pastor and me just blink at you. And uh, it should be that way with, with you, too. They're just, you don't call yourself a Christian and you've got co-servors, uh, saviors. Verse 24 Then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. Well, see, that's the voice of a man who wants God, who's submitted. It's not a voice of a man who's being deceptive and has a false conversion. He would have said something like, who do you think you are? We were fine before you got here, Peter. He doesn't do that. There is repentance to salvation and there is repentance within salvation. Do we not understand that? You'll find out when you drive out of here. You're driving down the road and that person just makes you irritated. I get irritated at what other drivers might do. That's how bad it is for me sometimes. You oh, know, he might cut me off. I never liked him. <laughs> Hyperbole. Uh, anyway, trying to identify with your struggles. Anyway, we're almost done. This illustrates for us. That when people are delivered from Satan by the Holy Spirit through Christ, they may bring in, ignorantly, blasphemies. They don't even know they're doing it. Because they they've not yet been schooled. Who needs teachers if we just know everything right away? Well, the, God has given us teachers. New citizens must learn how the laws of the kingdom work. And Simon is learning. Verse 25. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So the apostles, they are beginning to see the work that Christ started goes beyond the Jewish people, where they were Jewish. And they're now seeing, you know, the Samaritans can get saved too. We saw the Holy Spirit confirm this for us, which is one of the reasons why this at this transitional stage is so critical. God first used the Jews to spread the good news to other peoples. And we're all equal now. So I hope uh, we've covered a lot with, you know, the argument about have the gifts ceased? Was it just for them? There's no mention of speaking in tongues. Did they speak in tongues? Was that the sign? No, who knows? Maybe they just praised God zealously. It doesn't have to be tongues that confirms that you're filled with the Spirit. It can just be you go up and start sharing the gospel with people. Um, may May we not be biased in our theology, but may we remain objective. Let's pray. This morning, Father, a lot of material for us to ponder, a lot written on these things by so many of your servants. May we not lose the spirit of, Lord, what do you say when we come to our word, to church, wherever it is we, that you find us considering doctrine, Christian behavior, things that belong to you. May we not lose our ability to be objective in the spirit. If you are just a church goer, You've never opened your heart to Christ. I'm sure you've got your excuses. Why? You know, all oh, those Christians are this. Or, you know, a pastor did this to me one time. Once a Christian beat me up. Or whatever it may be. The uh, Christ doesn't call you to get saved by what other people are doing. He calls you to be saved by what he has done. And he offers. He offers you to receive it by, by trust in him. We call it faith. Christ says, jump and I'll catch you into my arms because there there are no other arms that you can land, land in and, and be saved. If you would like to open your heart to Jesus Christ, you have a chance right now. I suppose that the angels are very perplexed by those who keep putting it off, putting it off as though that's going to work well for them. Maybe you've been putting off your confession of faith for who cares what reason you've been putting it off. And God is saying, today is the day of salvation. It's going to get harder. You better act. You better take that step. let this thing blow up on you. This thing called life in sin. If you would like to receive Christ, then come get him right now receive what he has to offer. If you say this, Lord Jesus, I, I am a sinner. I have broken your laws, your commandments, not the churches, not the pastor's, not the Christian's laws, your law. And I ask you to forgive me. You being God have every right to make law, to make requirements on me. And I come to you and I ask you to forgive me for my sin. I come to you because you're the only one that can forgive me of my sin, that died for me, that loves me, that welcomes me as I am. Anybody can make a religion for good people, but you've made one for sinners to come, to get to heaven. I give my life to you right here, right now. Now, Father, if anyone's made this prayer this morning, may they not back away from it. Give them the courage to embrace their confession. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.